Welcome back to the Mitch Wallace podcast, where we talk to people about all things mental health and emotional wellness. And today I'm joined by an absolute living legend who I was almost to the point of urinating my pants when I came across him on uh, Instagram Reels. His name is Joe Damon. Uh, I read bios at the start of the episode, so if it seems robotic, that's why, because I can't do them justice by uh, going off the cuff here. So quick one minute intro. Joey's already proved himself to be a star in the world of New Zealand comedy after selling out two shows at the prestigious Sky City Theatre in Auckland. Joe's laugh out loud talent has also seen him write for the hit TV duo Jono and Ben and sell out his own shows on debut at the New Zealand and Melbourne International Comedy Festivals. Recently, Joe uh, wrote, directed and starred in his own TV miniseries, Bounces, which also went on to be picked up by Comedy Central in the UK. Outside of comedy and acting, Joe is the founder of West Park, a youth-led Indigenous-focused media company. Joe's an outspoken activist against racism, using his profile for public good. He's bloody hilarious, hardworking and genuine in all that he does. I'm super duper pumped for this convo. We cover a lot of things. Uh, I think the part of the interview I found most interesting and stimulating and where I got to learn a lot personally was when we spoke about the relationship between family being a source or a base for stability and safety versus how you find autonomy and individuality outside of that system. We also spoke about Joe's own experience with facing darker times and his willingness and constant endeavor to go toward the hard stuff, even when there's an easier path to scrape by. You're going to see this guy up in bright lights. He already is, but even more so in the years to come. And I'm going to be one of the lucky ones to say that I spoke to him uh, in person when he was only in the interim of reaching his full potential. But as discussed in this episode, our value is found way more than in the work that we do. And in and of himself, in his character, he is hugely worthy of being recognized as a brilliant human being. So without further ado, here's my boy, Joey. Well, what an intro, man. I uh, appreciate that, but you damn. It's, it's so funny. I felt like that, like you were singing me happy birthday and I'm just like <laughs> sitting there like, yo, this is... I'm down with this. Everyone's looking at me and I'm just tending to be in this. <laughs> bro, what's the... Do you feel awkward ever? Yeah, bro. Like, I think that's uh, a really key part to not only just comedy, but I think being in successful in comedy, like I think often the, the, the best way to be funny is to be relatable. And the only way you can really be relatable is being able to look at like everyday life objectively. And I guess the best way to do that is if you are really constantly doing it from an outsider's perspective. And I think for me, like I'm, I never really would present as awkward, but I think I feel awkward quite often. And it's just because like, I'm looking at things like, even if I feel comfortable in them, I'm always looking at it like this could look so silly this way. Or I can see how somebody is probably looking at this. So yeah, bro, long story short. It's, it's very interesting. Cause I think of all <laughs> professions, you look at comedians and you seem like artists of uh, being able to suspend any, inattention around like what are people thinking about me or how do I not break character right now yeah. how do you stay in the moment with stuff like that 
Bro, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, like being present and being in the moment's always been something that I've really um, struggled with. And, you know, even like with what I was saying, like when you're constantly thinking about like the funny perspective of something or what you are thinking of something, you're never really in the moment. So I guess for me, one thing that really helps me is just conversation, talking, like I'll make a lot of my comedy. Um, I don't know. It's hard to kind of explain it now because like crowd work is the big thing like on social media like everyone's crowd working every comedian is posting crowd working mm. clips when i first started like crowd working it wasn't looked down upon but it wasn't really considered stand-up comedy but that was like the form of stand-up that i really really enjoyed because it just allowed me to like speak to the crowd and stuff and half the time bro like i wouldn't even come out of it with anything necessarily funny but I think with me, I felt way more in the moment if I was able to actually make it like a two-way um, engagement rather than just me standing up on stage and like telling jokes. Like I never really had any interest in doing that. And I have never really had an interest in comedians that kind of just stand up there and just do that. So that's always how I've sort of stayed present is by being engaging. So the, the two-way aspect of things is important to you with comedy? Totally, totally. And I, I think especially with the groups that I really want to engage, which is especially um, like, I mean, in, in New Zealand, it's it's very heavily been brown people and young men and, and New Zealand, like those particular groups aren't typically engaged. Like it's, they're, they're not really, and they struggle, like this is probably quite a general statement, but I would say young men in particular in New Zealand, like really struggle with um, expression Mm. and they struggle with like really being able to express themselves like in any sort of particular way and laughter obviously being a form of expression you see why a lot of comedians come here to New Zealand and really struggle is because as I think just culturally in New Zealand like we're, we're not very expressive it's kind of looked down upon in New Zealand to be expressive and so when you do something like comedy that becomes like a very um something that you're like acutely aware of because you're going to these audiences and like, they're not really giving you a whole lot, but they'll come up to you afterwards and be like, that was so funny, but you just had watched them the whole time. They didn't laugh. Wow. So it's like a whole barrier to kind of um, work through. And it's, it's one thing I think what makes New Zealand comedy difficult, but then also what I think makes New Zealand beautiful is that like, you actually have to like really inhibit a lot of it. Like you really have to hit something really hard for people in New Zealand to respond to it. And yeah. so I think, I've just always made the effort of trying to be as relatable as possible and really speak on things that people I know are thinking, but don't really speak about. Mm. And that kind of elicits the, you know, finally that like response that I guess I'm looking for. I think the, the Maori culture is one that I, uh, the way I would describe it from an outsider's perspective is, is gentle, which is, you know, contrast when you look at the haka, which is incredibly powerful. And I think two things yeah. can be true at once, but the the innate instinct of when I'm ever in the company of any of my um, Kiwi brothers and sisters, it's there is a sense of peace that is underlying a lot of conversations. Now, what I'm interested in is this restriction of expression. Do you think mm. that do you think that uh, people are holding themselves back in fear of judgment, or is it social conditioning, or both? But that's such a good question and you know i would wholeheartedly say like yes people are held back i think 
And you're totally right. There's cultural elements in it, especially when it comes to Māori, when it comes to Pacific Islanders. But I would say just New Zealanders in general, like we're, we're generally held back by it. Um, and I think it's something that because we all feel held back by it, it's something that we uphold amongst each other. And, you know, tall poppy is one word that people use for that. Mm. I don't necessarily think it's always that, but I do think that there's kind of a general... One, one thing that I always typically describe is that... Um, you know, New Zealand young men statistically, like our, our mental health statistics, are, you know, are, are really, really bad. And, you know, I think the mental health crisis amongst young men in New Zealand is particularly very bad. And, and you know, like I sort of mentioned before, I hearken it back to our culture of like uh, minimizing self-expression in New Zealand. So when I kind of think of it on like the most basic level, one thing that I often describe to people is that as a young dude in New Zealand, because we're kind of brought up on this like general mindset that like sticking out isn't good, being the odd one out isn't good. And as soon as you do, you're going to be, it's pretty acceptable that you're allowed to be made fun of or you're allowed to be pointed out. One thing that I, once one specific situation I often describe as like, for a brown dude in New Zealand, their biggest fear is having the orcs called or being in charge of the music because if you pick a song that people don't like you're going to hear that <laughs> you're going to hear about that forever they're never ever going to let you forget about that if i put on the venga boys and no one wants to <laughs> hear that that is my nickname for the next five years Shit. and something like that is like everyone always cracks up and like it is so trivial and it's so true and it's relatable but then if you think about how difficult it is to express yourself on even a minimal level like that, yeah. then what happens at the other end of the spectrum in your most vulnerable moment, if you can't even do the basic, how the hell are you going to do the hardest part? And um, ultimately, that's what I really see as like a big hindrance for us like here in Aotearoa is, um, you know, there, there's no, we have no leeway like for even the most basic forms of expression. And it's frowned upon the most basic forms of expression which is why we have such a massive, massive issue around the most difficult part of expression, which is expressing when you're vulnerable. And that's kind of always how I've seen it. Uh, I think that this is a really healthy thread that we should keep pulling on. And I want to go via your domain in order to get to the heart of it in mental health, which is like, I like interviews where like this, where I can learn from incredible people like you, someone that is that has and continues to break the mold despite um, pre-existing conditions that make that difficult. Mm. Looking at you, I, I like to know how. So how did you, knowing that sticking your head above the sand and coming out and being like, I'm going to try and tell jokes at scale on a stage, um, <laughs> arguably harder than talking about the way that you feel because you, you're wanting yeah. an audience response, whereas with mental health, you're just wanting acceptance to some extent. You, you have to get an emotion from someone. How did you yeah. cross that bridge? Bro, it was, uh, it's been the hardest process. I think one big thing for me was like, I was always a pretty um, broad ranging creative kid. Like I always did my own thing, but I was always very introverted in that sense that like, I never really let anybody know. So like, for example, I ran a, um, like a fashion kind of magazine when I was about 17 but I was a first 15 player at school, you know, I was popular, you know, I go to a single sex boys school, it's a prominent rugby school, you know, all the 
all, all the, I guess, stereotypes that you could think a school like that would have, like my school had that, but I'm a brown dude that likes fashion. And this is in like 2013, like, you know, Kanye West was cool, but it wasn't like fashion wasn't this like super cool thing. It was still, you know, relatively niche in the sense of like young men, um, like being kind of into it in, in that mm. way, I guess. So for me, I was always kind of lent towards something creative and, and sticking out in that way, at least in how I thought, but never how I spoke. And one of the big things for me that I think a lot of young men will relate to as well, where I really realized that I had an issue of expressing myself and how actually detrimental I'd been to myself, like holding this in, was actually when I started drinking. So what happened was when I started drinking, uh, I started. I didn't start drinking until I was about 18. And one thing that it really gave me was it gave me this confidence that I never felt like I'd had because now I had a reason to be able to just express myself freely. And with someone like myself, who I just lived in my head, if you give me an avenue to do that, regardless of whether it's detrimental or healthy to me, I'm going to take it because I finally get a chance to just talk about what I want to talk about. And so what was really... Um, what was really dangerous for me was like drinking gave me that first ever outlet, that first ever avenue to do that. And so I took it to like, I took it to the hills, bro. For like, from the age of 18 to, it was, it was like an entire year and a half. I just pretty much drank from having never drunk to drinking genuinely five, six days a week. Like I was, I was completely dependent on how it made me feel. And, um, all that really happened was I just sort of got to a point I'd put on a lot of weight. I dropped out of university. I, I realized like how toxic I was becoming as a person. And basically I just decided one day I was like, I'm going to go completely cold Turkey. I'm not going to drink uh, for a month and I'll see how I go. And I didn't drink for two years. And um, basically I was just able to really see myself like, okay, it wasn't the drinking that was giving me this feeling that I enjoyed. It was me finally feeling like I could just get out of my shell and be myself. That was what the drinking gave me. So why don't I try and do that without the drinking? And then what was funny was once I recognized that when I had stopped drinking, that's why I was able to go for two years without even touching anything because I eventually figured out how to do it without that. It's like, that's all that was to me. And so now that's all that's remained is it was always just a tool to get to what I wanted to get to. Well, now I can get to it on my own. I don't need that. And so that was such a big um, thing for me. And, you know, in that period, I um, started powerlifting. I was working, you know, I was kind of like saving up money. I didn't really have a particular direction I was trying to go, but I at least had like purpose and I had drive to do something. And at the very least I had realized, okay, I know what I want now. I don't know how to get it, but I know what I want. And then as soon as, you know, comedy kind of came along as an avenue, like, okay, I really want that. Bro, it, it, uh, it, my mind and my life started clicking in a way that it never had before, and it just hasn't stopped clicking since, and that was seven years ago. Damn, it sounds like a spiritual moment where, like, you you put yourself into the the hard spot and you chose the more difficult path, which is to stay sober and feel all the shitty feelings, but the reward for that on the other side was finding purpose and being right where you're supposed to be. Completely. And, you know, I think for, for me, what was a, a really hard part was, you know, when you, 
I think I think leaving home is always a big thing. I mean, I, I had been at boarding school since I was thirteen, but to really be out be yourself is a whole different prospect. And I think when you remove the safety net of parents, when you remove the safety net of your bubble, of your friends, of your family, you really only got yourself to look at. And it's really confrontational because you're 18, 19, you know, you're 18 to 21 years old. You're facing all these things of yourself that you didn't really know yourself, but you don't have the tools to process them. And um, for me, it was just such a difficult kind of period of my life figuring out, okay, I've just realized I hate myself in 300 different ways. Mm. And I've been able to hide behind my support system and schooling and all that. Now I'm on my own. I have to face them. That's such a difficult prospect. And I think that's why so many boys that age really, really struggle because it's literally that, that, um, you know, that entire process they're going through. Mm. So for me, it was just an act of, okay, how do I get, how do I grow from this? How do I get beyond this? How do I start to live my life for myself and as, as myself? And uh, I was just so lucky that comedy gave me an avenue to start to, you know, build on that journey of self-discovery. I think a lot of people listening right now can share the same goal of, of wanting to find yourself, not have a crutch and uh, feel as if you can live more authentically. And I think the, the bridge to that is tough. So let's keep walking down that path. Mm-hmm. How, how, what was the moment? Can you take me back to a single memory where you knew, fuck me, something's got to change with this drinking. What was rock bottom? Well, I, I really, it's, it's funny. Um, I know exactly that moment. Um, I, I don't even know if the boys will see this, but they'll laugh <laughs> if they do. One of my best friends, one of my best, best friends, I, um, I hooked up with his ex, just kissed his ex at like our friend's 21st. And, uh, and this wasn't just like any ex they had been together for like six years. They had just broken up like a few weeks beforehand. And, uh, it's funny, like for him, he was really mad. And I think that really impacted me, but he also let it go really quickly, but it was really funny. Like I didn't let that go for years because I think it was so far beyond like who I saw myself as a person. I was never really that kind of dude. Like it, it was just, there was just so many things I think happening at once that for me, I was just like, well, I've become, I've, even if it's, and for some people objectively a small way, for me, this is a huge way for me to be behaving in this way that I never ever saw myself ever acting like. Mm. So that was, I, I still remember it so vividly. And I remember, cause I was living in Wellington at the time and we were at the 21st in Auckland. It's about an like, hour flight. And I remember like crying on the flight home back to Wellington. Cause I think it just hit me so hard that like I would be capable of something that I was so sure I wouldn't be. Mm. But then you see yourself, but then you see yourself like do this and you're like, well, what has led me to this? What are my behaviors that I'm doing? that has allowed me to become this person because now I am this person, like regardless of what I think of myself, I've become this person. Cause you have evidence. How do I, you know, like I've, I've done, and there's, there's no denying it. Like I've done, I've done this. So now it's time for me to, okay, if I, if I don't ever want to be that person, what do I have to do in order to get away from, 
from ever leaning, you know, into what I've clearly shown I'm I'm capable of, and and that was the big one, bro. And I fucking I still remember it like it was yesterday, to be honest. Mm. It, you're you're obviously someone with a big heart and also a lot of courage. And I'm not saying that in like a cliche way and trying to stroke your back or anything. I'm saying that because a lot of people, when moments like that occur get stuck in shame and then go further down the rabbit hole toward drinking sabotage worse behaviors mm. because they cannot accept if i if i mm. accept that what i did was wrong i now need to feel the consequences of that and i'm not ready so i'm going to keep on the circle of denial and avoidance right it's harder yeah. to go i fucked up how yeah. can i change and you chose that path what would you encourage people to do if they find themselves in a situation where they're like i've strayed so far from who i am it's too far. It's too hard to turn back now and and refine myself. What would you say to someone like that? Damn, bro, that's such a good question. What? Yeah, like I'd like to know, like, what you would say, like, you know, if you've, you know, any moment of yours where you felt a similar, like, what, what do you say? What do you typically say? I don't yeah. Know. This is, we're doing crowd work right now. I love this. You're creating the two-way interaction. <laughs> yeah, well, because also, um, like, I, I, yeah, I'm not too sure of my answer, but then also on the other end, like, I would, yeah, bro, I would really love to hear what you had to say there, what you would have to say. Yeah, bro, 100%. Look, I think I've been down that path a lot, and, and for me, shame is either going to make you or break you, as in it's going to be, the signal or the flag that's holding up for like, here's your freedom. If you go through me, like you can't, you can't avoid feeling bad in life. In fact, my, my, the six most powerful words, people get sick of me saying this, the six most powerful words that has led me back from the brink of suicide, uh, despite having all the privilege in the world is these, this, the truth right. will set you free. The truth will set you free. If there's a hard part of you, you've got to go toward it. There's no going around it because it's the going toward working on and moving through where you find emotional freedom. And so often I feel as if we do actions or think thoughts or feel feelings that aren't aligned with who we are and then shame occurs and it's so painful to feel or recognize or accept that we could have done something different that we continue down mm. that path because the brain sees that as less painful than the healthy alternative yeah, of self-reflection. So for me, it's always choosing courage because regardless, I believe that I'm strong and I believe that being a good person is more important than any fucking feeling in the world that you could possibly garner. So values above all. And because that's who I am, it's a no brainer in those moments that no matter how hard it is, it's the right thing to do. Damn, that's that's really. Do you think you're similar? That's really good. Advice. Yeah, bro, completely. And I, I would almost add on to that, like that, the you know, choosing the hard part. I think one thing that really benefited me was like, and and this is purely just for like me, and you know, some people may or may not resonate with it, but like, I'm a very practical, hands-on person. For me, if if it seems too complicated, I really struggle to do it. But if you make it really simple for me. I really, like, I'm really able to do it then. And totally on your advice just then about picking the hard road, I think for me, it honestly was as simple as, okay, I acknowledge that what I've done here, I'm ashamed of. Hmm. And I hate this feeling. 
what's something that I can do that will immediately um, start to move me on a journey back towards who I believe I am as a person. I made it as simple and as practical as, okay, my drinking, how bad is that? It's pretty bad. How would I go if I don't drink for 30 days? So I made it practical for myself again. And that was like what made me getting back on that journey easy. Now, whether I stayed on the 30 days or not, uh, you know, is irrelevant. But I think for me, even putting that intention out there, that was me saying to myself, okay, bro, you've laid out a very clear path for yourself to tread. And it's really up to you how you go about it. And then, like I said, bro, 30 days turned into literally two years. Mm. Um, But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't just make that first initial you know, relatively really easy step for me to make and then decide for myself. And then I think it's absolutely like you nailed it on the head with the, at the end of the day, you, you've got to choose the hard road. Yeah. And then I guess that goes along with my thing of like, make those roads to yourself clear. Clear and simple. And then it's really up to you where you choose to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much that comes from the, that path and, and making those choices even in spite of I think people change when the pain of the current situation outweighs the previous behaviors that occurred like Mm. some people need to hit rock bottom before they change because it's doing enough to scrape Mm. by and that moment for you where you hooked up with your friend's ex and you felt like this is not me that pain became way more than the the benefits you were getting of in not feeling inhibited when you were drinking And so you're like, okay, now the fucking tables have turned. I need to figure out a better way because this just is not working anymore. It it was one of those things where like, as soon as I started the journey, I almost immediately started to see the benefits. Mm. So it's like the actual hard part is, is not even starting the journey. I've, for me personally, I've always found the hard part is figuring out what the journey is because once I then am able to clear my head with that and cause, cause like, not to generalize, but I also will. Like, I was 20 at the time. And I think just 20 year olds in general, you know, through schooling and, you know, our family lives, our life is so structured for us. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we struggle with and leaving that structure is we're now in a position where, like, shit, we have to make our own structure. This is what being an adult is, is fuck. Like, if I don't wake up at, 8 30 for uni like my mom's not going to run in and tell me like get the hell up or my boarding <laughs> master's not going to tell me yo i'm late it's like if i miss that 9 a.m lecture like there's literally no one else but me that's suffering from that and so i think um being really practical of myself and giving myself that my own structure for a lot of those things that like, was really really beneficial to me at that age because at that age like we really need that you know i don't think we have the confidence or or the know-how to live our life completely without it. I think that comes with time. And so I think for anybody kind of around that age, that's really struggling with that. If you're really struggling with direction, you just need structure. And the biggest thing you need to do is figure out what exactly that structure is that you need around what it is that you need. And that will solve a lot of the anxiety that you're probably feeling. Um, Won't solve everything, but it at least is a start because it was a start for me and that changed my life. Structure is key, bro. And also the willingness to, to become yourself independent of the family unit. And I think, you know, I have in, um, indigenous uh, Australian friends, indigenous um, Maori friends, and 
there is this sense of family system that we lack in the West or in white culture. <laughs> um, we don't have the sense of community you guys do. And the nurturance mm. of around that tribe-like mentality that is so fucking healthy for children to feel unconditionally loved and your best friends, your relatives, and it's an incredibly tight-knit community. Now, do you also see that breaking out of that mold and becoming your own man is challenging as well because there is a sense of comfort from that tribe-like environment? Co completely. But, and I was just going to say, like, to your point with, so like kind of we reference um when if i talk about um you know like what people like we in maori we use the word pakeha which it means not of this land so like technically the word means just anybody from overseas but when we talk about like you know nz europeans or you know white people we usually will say the word pakeha so you uh, have full rights if you want to call call me white people for sure, bro. No offense here. Appreciate it, bro. No, white people just always yeah. I, 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 it always um, sounds more uh, confrontational than I guess I'm trying to make it. But one thing that I do respect when it comes to Parker is I feel like the um, transition to adulthood uh, and independence. Um, you know, I feel like culturally, you guys. I feel like your entire kind of childhood is uh, built around that idea of one day being independent, one day becoming an adult. And it's almost like constantly preparing you for that. And um, yes, you know, that, that comes with its own hindrances, but then I also see like a lot of my friends like transitioned a lot easier to independence and being, um, you know, like, self self-sustaining on their own like, a lot easier than i guess a lot of like my my brown friends and my maori and you know pacific island friends and it is uh it is one of those things where it's like both worlds have their benefits and both of them you know have the things that i guess are like detrimental to you and i guess for me it's always been hard because it's like trying to figure out what is the balance for myself within those especially having two younger brothers you know, where, where are the parts where you step in and say, you know, you can lean on your family for this and where are the parts where you step in and say, no, this is actually something you need to do for yourself. That's been such a hard balance. Um, and uh, yeah, to be honest, it's still one I'm figuring out uh, because I want to, especially for my youngest brother, he's 18. I want to be there for him all the time, you know, because in Maldi culture and, you know, Fijian culture, family is so important. Family is worth devoting your entire life to. Family is worth, you know, if you do nothing, but you're, but you're somebody that, you know, cares for your family, looks after your family. You're a valuable person. You're a valuable person, not only to your family, but to society. That's powerful. Um, Parker, I think the idea is more so like, what are you bringing to like the general I guess, community, what value do you bring within the work that you do? What value do you bring to the groups of people that you engage with? It's, I think it's more beyond just the family unit. And I feel like with Pakeha, like they don't value the idea of like family, I guess, and the sole entity of it just on its own and the way that I guess we do. But then in saying that, like one of the big difficulties with my younger brother is 
yes, I want to be there for him all the time, but then there's so many moments where I'm like, it's actually more beneficial for me to lean more into the, like, the Pākehā way of thinking and just allow him to just experience this on his own. He was living with me for a year. He's just moved out. Part of me wanted him to stay, but then the other part of me knows he's 18, he's going to go flatting, he's, you know, he's going to learn about finances and managing his money better and looking after himself. It goes against, I guess, my values and upbringing of, you know, always keeping close and always knowing what he needs and and always doing my best to to provide that for him. But ultimately, you know, seeing what could be of benefit to him in another way of thinking, whilst it was really hard for me, has been where we've gotten to. And it's, I mean, it's been really beneficial to him. But it is that constant clash of like your values. I'll and bet, ultimately, bro. you just have to look beyond yourself and like what the person, you know, kind of needs. And my brother's responded great to it. So, yeah, bro, it's, it's always hard though. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for your little bro, man. And, and I'm also almost like, for lack of better words, like jealous and envious around just the unconditional sense of care, you know, that, that is in your culture. I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I have a, have a loving family and, and good friends, but I know a lot of, a lot of people in, um, miss that and, and that other things can get in the way or become more important. And, I believe that every single person needs a home base to come back to and yeah. you need to be able to like rest on a branch and th- there should be no greater branch than the family system. You know, I think that's how we grow wings is that they kind of need each other in a way. If you have a strong base and branch, then your wings can grow larger and larger. You can become more autonomous knowing you have a retreat station that's always going to be safe in there for you. Uh, yeah. And what would you say for to to young men who are struggling with finding their wings because of the safety of the branch is so comfortable, particularly I guess in their early twenties, Joey, to use you know your experience. What would you say to them on how to build that sense of independence and autonomy? That that's such a hard one, bro. Because like I know with me, it's what's what's really funny is you know my brothers and I you know, being Māori and Fiji, and that's two cultures together that really emphasise that tight family unit. And I would say my parents really struggled with the idea of, like, us being independent, which is ironic because we we all went to boarding school from a young age. But I think at the very least, like, my parents had a sense that, like, you know, the boys are away, but we're all together. You know, we're all together. And... um one thing that I think a lot of brown people in particular will really relate to is that it's really, really difficult. Whilst that family unit gives so much support, it's really difficult breaking out from that because I know a lot of like our parents, mine included, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to uphold that that family unit, unit. And it goes more so away from that value, which I agree with what you said of that it's a mm. base that this is something that you have here to come back to and more so under the other, um, I guess, dynamic of, no, you need to be here or this needs you, otherwise Uh it falls apart. And that's so much pressure to put on young people. And like, I know a lot of brown people really, really feel that, um, that dynamic really 
and it's a and, and it's a burden that you walk around with whether they want to um admit it or not and I, I know my brothers and i struggled with it with an element of that for sure it's like a burden that you kind of hold and you don't feel like you're allowed to really set yourself free and explore like the limit you know like the limitless opportunities within your life because ultimately at the end of the day there's always this one thing that you have to come back to mm. no matter what and i think that's really really dangerous for you know for young people because you're already kind of putting um hindrances and roadblocks in in their head and when you're a young person you already have those mm. things there like you're going to build those things yourself you already have those obstacles in your head about what you believe your abilities are and aren't. So to then add more to that and for the family dynamic, which is supposed to support you to then add more to that, that's what makes the dynamic really, really difficult. And so for me, bro, to be honest, so I'll just be straight up. It took me not talking to my parents for two years mm. to be able to break out of it. I didn't talk to my parents for two years. How was that? Because ultimately it just came to how was it? Or why was it? But it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was really, really hard. And what was really difficult about it was it was a two years of my life that was actually objectively like really successful. I had broken into the mainstream in New Zealand. You know, I started doing mainstream television. I was selling out shows like all over the country, all over Australia. And bro, it was pretty much an experience that I just experienced on my own mm. without my family. But you know, one thing that I really look back at is, to be honest, the timing is almost not even coincidental. It happened because of that, that because I was able to break out of the burden that I kind of felt within that dynamic, I was able to just spread my wings and really be myself and express myself and just fully take on the opportunity that I had right in front of me that maybe these little things mentally were just holding me back from really fully embracing. Mm. So it was genuinely like almost, you know, the timing of it, you, you almost have to say that it happened because of that was because, you know, I, we, we kind of cut our relationship off end of 2019, start of 2020. And by six months later, by the middle of 2020, you popped off, you know, I was, yeah arguably one of the most well-known comedians in the country. So that's that's how extreme it had to be for me. And I would I will never ever go out and say this is that's what you have to do. That's just what worked for me. Mm. But that's how difficult that dynamic is. And that's wow. how hard of a decision it is for like a lot of people in my position. And um, you know, we're still fixing to be honest, the uh you know, the flow and effects of that within our relationship. Mm. But, uh, and, bro, that was, the, that was like years ago that that happened. But mm. at the same time, I think we both acknowledged that the only reason I've been able to become the person I am was because ultimately, like, I had to, you know, I had to do that. So, yeah, bro, it was really hard, and I've never really talked about it publicly, but I uh, appreciate you giving me the chance to, bro, like, to share that. Bro. Thank you, man. And, look, uh everyone's doing their best, right? You're doing your best, your family's doing their best and we're figuring it out as we go. And I think this leads to a really, really healthy discussion around how does a family be the, the branch to, to kind of beat a dead horse with that analogy. But like, this is the place that's yeah. here if you want it, 
versus you need to be a certain way. Otherwise we're gonna, there's punitive consequence. And I think if, if yep. we can maximize the gift of the community environment and the tribe without then carrying that into diminishing someone's flourishing, you know, we started this whole conversation with don't express yourself. Don't pump, put your head above the sand. Don't leave the family unit too far. How do we create deeper yeah. roots for taller growth? They shouldn't need to fight each other. They need each other. Right. Totally. Totally. And I think it's, um, you know, I think one thing that my parents like really struggled with, and I think a lot of parents really struggle with is mm. I think they struggled with the, the change of the dynamic of uh, dependence and independence. Mm. You know, when you're a parent raising kids and raising four young kids, as my parents did, like your kids are dependent on you. So, you know, they're always going to be there because they need you. Like they literally need you to feed them. They need you to, you know, the simple shit, like take them to school, all that kind of stuff. And I think one thing that my parents really struggled with, which I don't think they'll mind me saying, um, was when that became less and less of a requirement for us because, you know, they'd, because they'd built up this relationship with us that essentially, without realizing, becomes transactional because it's like, okay, my kids love me because I take care of them. Oh, shit, what happens when they no longer need me to take care of them? Does that mean they don't love me anymore? And mm -hmm. I think it was as simple as that for my parents. But what a lot of what I think us as people struggle with, and I think like we struggle with it in relationships, is that our needs and like our dependencies on, on one another can be different. You know, the way that I depend on my partner may be different on the way she depends on me. And that can actually cause a lot of issues in relationships. Yep. And so I think for that was just one thing that like my parents really had to not only learn to accept, but I had to learn to understand was like, what is the dependence that I actually need from me? And okay, that's the need that I actually love them and need them, regardless of whether I actually need them to fulfill my actual needs. But I need them purely because I need them in my life for my emotional needs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly where you're going here. I think two really good points to just solidify. One being that almost a parent's sense of self-worth and identity starts to get questioned as their children grow. And so then it becomes less of a discussion around the child and more a discussion around them as an adult. And how can they fulfill their, how can they bring value to the world if, if they don't have dependence? And that's an impossible circle if it's described in that equation, right? It's an impossible circle. It's an impossible circle. And, and your kid, uh, it's so hard because it's like if your kid fulfilled that need, that feeling for you for so long of, you know, they because you felt like they needed you, you then felt mm. valuable. Well, fuck, like how empty must that feel when that just one day? For sure. Goes? If we keep, and this is where my second point was going to come, and this is more of a question than it is a statement, is that maybe what what could be a way forward is understanding that needs and care evolve over time it doesn't need to evaporate right yeah. you're dependent on people in different ways and they're not less than or more than like dropping someone to school but also being there to be a shoulder to cry on and having that paternal or maternal loving energy around that's not a lesson it's a different expression and until until we regard that as equally important but an evolving process then we're 
always going to feel like time will strip away worth when it doesn't need to be that way, right? Completely. And like communication is such a key thing element for all of that. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example, bro. Um, so like my partner, she's a nurse, right? And what's really funny is typically what, what I've been described to when it comes to um, like how men and women, and again, it's generalizing, um, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like a lot of people like relate in some way when it comes to uh, the difference, a big difference between men and women is like men uh, we've been known to communicate and speak on our issues when we're looking for a solution. Whereas women mm-hmm. use that as a means to like regulate their emotions. So what's really hard with that dynamic is that as men, when we hear, you know, in a cisgender relationship as men, when we're speaking with our partners, women will tend to talk about their issues to regulate their emotions and really process their emotions. Whereas we're not taking it as that we're taking it as, okay, she's telling me that she needs me Mm. to solve these problems that she's telling me about. And that actually causes so many like little issues in relationships because it's like, we're trying to solve a problem that she's not even really giving to us. And where that can then lead to like a lot of issues is that we, as men, we can then resent our partner for not taking on these solutions that we're trying to like give our heart to providing. And she's resenting us because we're not even giving her the thing that we're coming, that she's coming to us for that feels so simple in her head, but we can't do it. And it's, it it was such a big lesson for me to like learn because it was, it, it was one of those things where again, like I had to take out what I and processing as my need in a similar situation like this and understand, okay, what is this person's actual needs and respecting that in the same way that I hope that they respect mine. And it almost feels like a, I never, you know, like an impossibly unfulfilling endeavor because you feel like you're giving something and you don't really see the benefit of it. But then that's the whole point of a relationship is that you've got to be willing to give things that you don't see the benefit of for the love of the people for the love that you have for this other person. And it's so funny. It was in that dynamic with like my partner and I, that I then realized the same thing through my parents. It's like, I've got to now be willing to give them things that I don't see the benefit of for our relationship because our needs ultimately are different. They have changed. And I may never see the benefits of the things that I'm giving, but if I love them, I'll be willing to give that because that's what they need. Bro. Oh, so much wisdom in what you just said. And I, I, I think, I think what we're building to here is if you have the willingness and capability to be able to meet someone's needs and it not detrimentally affect you, you can and should do so, even if it's different to how you would derive something as valuable. Completely, completely. And and like, if you really love someone, you know, I'm not going to say something similar. If you love someone, it'll be easy. But if you love someone, it will be hard, but you'll genuinely be willing mm. to do it. Yeah. And uh, it'll be, it'll be, it's a frustrating process and it's like a lot to kind of think about. But if you really care about someone, it's, it's work that you'll be willing to put in. And if you don't feel like you're willing to put in, then that's something that you also yep. should think about. Okay. Is this really worth like the effort that I need to put in? Is this person really who I think they are to me. And if they're not, that's okay too. But those are just all things that I guess I've had to like really take on board with myself. 
and be like, okay, this is how much effort it is. Am I willing to do this? And because of my head, I wholeheartedly was like, yeah, I am willing to do it. For me, it then became a process of, okay, now it's time to figure the out. Hell, yeah. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we in our programs coach on that exact thing is understanding that for a lot of people, they want connection, not solutions. Uh, to use your example, they yes. want to feel heard, seen and understood. And and although typically I think in a romantic setting, that's more of the female point, trust me, with men as well, whether we know it or not, if you validate and listen to someone first before you give them solutions, they'll feel less emasculated and more willing to take on your advice when it comes. So uh, the gift of connection is endless. Um, but more importantly not thinking that we need to choose all or nothing mindsets around like let's say you know complete hypothetical that my parents needed me to come over every day so that they felt some sense of dependence and worth from their ability to give back as a parent now instead of me considering and going okay I either need to go over to their place every day to keep them happy even though that's not I'm not willing and capable to offer that or I just won't see them I think the healthiest relationships exist when you find a middle ground together. So I can come over two days a week instead of no days or seven days, you know? Good point. It's that middle ground where you negotiate and both sides express and compromise and find their boundaries so that you can regulate and commit to some negotiated territory not believing like you need to abandon and go to the polar extremes where one person's getting screwed over and the other person's getting their needs met. Like a lot of the time it is just a balance of negotiation. Yeah. And, and you're so right on that. Like, again, this is another thing that my partner and I have really uh, set on is that, and exactly what you're saying, you know, we, a lot of us do think of that zero to 100, but if you're getting zero, like you've got to be, well, you probably got more than You've zero. You've got to be willing yeah. to give up 50. If yeah. that means you're going to get 50, that's more than you were. Yeah. Yeah, that's more than you were. Um, so I think you're so right in that. And yeah, that was just a really, a really, really good way to put it. And it's buzzy that how much of this conversation has kind of resonated with like where I'm at in my life right now bro so it's god's work man for sure i don't uh i don't think anything is is a mistake or an accident so i'm really enjoying talking to you man um hey i want to talk a little bit more about this sticking your head out thing because my intuitive feeling and i could be wrong is that there's a fair few people that relate to that can you take me back to a time (laughs) where you stuck your head out um with regard to maybe stepping into comedy or even something completely outside of that domain that has imprinted into your mind where you did that and it did not go well. And you're like, fuck, I feel so exposed. Yeah, bro. Um, I'll tell you one that was really, really difficult for me was, uh, so yeah, like I started this fashion blog when I was 17. So in my last year of high school and like I said, like I was, you know, a lot of my friends, my best friends and, a lot of my cousins, like I come from quite a prominent rugby family in New Zealand. So a lot of my cousins were big rugby players and, you know, that's sort of the general attitude. So, you know, when you've got a cousin who's like talking about fashion and shit, a lot of them are like, bro, what's this guy up to? 
so that was you know the fact that i was interested in it was already a break from um was already a break away from i guess how people viewed me mm. but then the fact that i then pursued it and wanting to like create my own fashion blog and stuff that was like a whole nother you know i guess that that was a whole nother thing for a lot of the people around me to really take on board when it came to me one thing that was really really difficult for me was like i i uh i taught myself how to code so i made a whole Fuck website now um yeah bro so i was like I, I was a super um i did really well like in high school and academically i was always really strong and so i had pretty much just gotten enough credits and stuff through the air that i just needed to find other stuff to like <laughs> keep me busy and so through year 13 which is our last year of high school i just taught myself how to code coded this whole website and then basically just started writing all these articles about like fashion and business and all these things that I like was really, really interested in. That was a big far cry from who anybody knew me as a person. Like I still remember releasing the website, people being like, shit, I didn't even know you were interested in this kind of stuff. Like that's crazy. One thing that, you know, it broke my heart back then. And it's like, I feel, you know, I still feel really gutted for my younger self at times whenever I do reflect on it was like my, my best, my best friends who I'd grown up with, no, we'd known each other since we were little kids. Our families were all really close. Like these guys were brought up, we were all brought up kind of as brothers, mm. and we all had this um, group chat, and uh, we had this like Facebook group chat. And uh, just this one day, I was just getting all these like my phone was just going off, and the boys were screenshotting like all these articles that I was writing and like making fun of them. Eesh. ouch! And it was. It, it was like seemingly harmless at first, but then they just like yeah. kept going and kept going. Trust it. And, um, Brian, and it really, it really, really hurt because it was one of those things where it's like, this is me just trying to, I feel like I'm still only expressing myself in a fraction of the way that I really want to. This is me trying to like spread those wings. And you're getting chopped down. And, and here are the, my only, you know, friends, the, my family, seemingly shooting it down and i think what made it even harder is my family didn't really support it either and when i kind of told them about that like they i didn't really get the support that i sort of felt like i was looking for and so essentially bro i ended up just mm. shutting the whole website down i shut it all down shut the whole company down damn i was doing stuff with like adidas originals and like bro i was doing like real you know really good stuff with it and it was becoming its own entity that was being recognized and successful but because of how those around me made me feel that was enough for me to throw away this like world of opportunity that i'd opened up my, for myself and uh you know my, my biggest regret to this day is allowing that to happen but it informed so much of what i did next and um yeah yeah and so yeah bro that was like that first really big one that hit me hard of sticking my head out and being told to you know kind of sit back down and uh it just oh, bad. such a poignant moment of my life because i remember how that felt then still and i basically just said that i'm never gonna let anybody make me feel like that ever again okay so here's the thing another crossroads for joey and and you've chosen the harder path one way is to say i'm never gonna step out again mm -hmm. the other way is i'm never gonna let anyone make me feel like that again yet you you chose the fucking tough one, but the good one, and I love it, bro. And, but so let's let's dig into that, bro. So how then 
when comedy comes up and then you have this opportunity to move into a different artistic expression or outlet, you're like, fuck it. Even though I was probably traumatized from the last one, I'm going to, I'm going to go at this. How did you find the willingness to go at that despite the consequences of last time? So, so I shut down Templar middle of 2016 and uh, yeah, that obviously really hurt. But I had still uh, kept productive of myself. I, I had just started powerlifting. I had lost like 20 kgs. You know, I was Looking really sharp. just starting to find my own. I was obviously like, yeah, man. I had a six pack. I'd never seen like abs in my life. Fuck yeah, of, brother. Like, looking at the rock. Uh, I was I was on. I was <laughs> He's on. on. And uh, so I was training. I was training heaps. And... Um, and really just like, I didn't re have any particular direction or thing that I was driving to, but at the very least I was training heaps. I was sober. Uh, and I was just, like, I'm committing to myself for the first time in my life. I'm just going to take care of myself. And, um, you know, the boys really, really hurt me over that period. And, you know, they did and said a lot of things, you know, a another thing I'm not dwelling on it, but I'm just giving context to the situation. Right. These guys are like my best friends. And I had my 21st, uh, which was middle of 2016, and half of them didn't even turn up. Damn. So I had friends from Auckland drive from Auckland down to Wellington to come to my 21st. And my own friends that lived in Wellington, who I'd grown up with, didn't even come. And so it kind of mm. just started to tick this thing in my head of like, okay, I, I see where these guys who I've always had around me, whose opinions on me I care so deeply about, I, I'm starting to see where they're holding me. And um, it was about a year from that it was middle of 2017 bro and nothing really particularly had happened but one day i just woke up and i was like i think i know again bring it back to that practical thing i think i know the final thing that's holding me back i i have built this relationship with myself where i'm confident in myself without drinking i've trained i've committed to myself without anybody else pushing me these are all things i've never done and i'm doing it for myself but i still feel this one little thing that's holding me back and I feel like it's the people around me. Mm. So, bro, what I did was I basically, these guys that I had known since we were little kids, I pretty much said, boys, I love you guys so much. This hurts me to say, but um, I can't go on and live my life in fear of like, what you guys think of me. I think it's best that we just don't talk. And wow. uh, it's best that I walk away from not only our friendship, but our relationship. And it had such a big flow on effect because our families obviously knew each other for so long. And yeah, uh, I, like, I mean, a couple of them were literally like my cousin. So we're, we're genuinely related. And it just, you know, that, that means that's functions I can't go to. That's people's birthdays I can't go to. You know, there's things I can't go to now because all these guys are there. And mm. I'm just willing to cut this whole part of my life off because I'm you know, for me, I was just like, this is the final commitment to myself. I'm putting myself first before anyone. Fucking and hell. bro, literally, this happened in June, the end of June, 2020, uh, 2017. And two weeks later, I signed up for my first stand up comedy open mic. And the rest is literally history. Damn, bro. The power of having some balls. <laughs> And yeah. also the power of cutting out me, energy and that's so, not what serving What was you. so crazy was I re still remember to this day the feeling. I remember telling the boys, I want nothing to do with you boys, and I'm walking away from this. Mm. And I just remember how much, like, 
it was so weird. I didn't know there was pressure there until it was off. Mm. I didn't, I no longer cared what anybody else was thinking of me because I got rid of all the people who I was so worried about what they thought of me constantly. And as soon as I cut that out, bro, I literally like the world was my oyster. I had never once considered stand up comedy seriously. And within two weeks, not only was I considering it, I was doing it. <laughs> and within a month, I had started a full blown stand up comedy career. Far out, bro. That is inspirational. And do you, so you don't regret that decision, obviously. That was the right thing. And out of curiosity, are those boys, have they come back into your life or have, is there a new circle that's providing you the energy? The, the boys have definitely come back, bro. These guys were literally brought up like my brothers. You know, we've known each other since newborns. Yeah, yeah. So it was always such a heartbreaking connection to make, but I guess that was just how serious I was and how committed I was to myself being able to live like a truly authentic life to myself. I was like, I'm willing to walk away from my family to really feel, because my thing was like, I was so committed to being who I, to being myself and really like one day with the hope of becoming a father and the hope of having a family, I really wanted to lead a life where my children felt like they had a father who had really let everything go in his life and really lived his life true to himself and was able to give himself fully without holding anything to them. I always had this vision of wanting to be that for my children. And my thing was, because of that, I will confront myself every single day if I don't feel like I'm living up to that. And because of that, I was willing to walk away from people that I love if they weren't serving that and they weren't leading me to being that kind of man. And so, bro, it was so hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It it was, it still kind of um, gives me chills, you know, thinking about it, but. um, Big risk, eh? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm so grateful for it. And, and it's made, you you know, as we've come into each other's lives again, um, it's made our relationships so much stronger. And I think one thing that I'm really grateful for is they acknowledge, you know, the man that I've become today and and how even my journey with them has led me to that. And for them, I'm super grateful. Yeah, for sure, bro. Because I think sometimes people can be so stuck in their ways that we can't end up reconciling and we just stick with an easy narrative of, oh, that person's wrong or that person abandoned me. We'll never see the same way. But it sounds like your friends have pretty awesome open-mindedness to accept that we can grow and come back together and that's okay. <laughs> totally, totally. And it, I think it taught us all a, a really good lesson of um, there is strength in, you know, separation. There is strength in, you know, independence and being apart and growing on your own. And if you truly, truly have the love for each other that you think that you do, like you will you will always come back, even if you're different, even if you've changed as a person, you know, your your feelings for your loved ones and for your family, that, that shit never changes. And you, you'll always come back no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've grown or fallen, it, it'll never change. And I, I think that's why for me, like now I just carry this confidence with my loved ones that, you know, not only do I feel like they're willing to allow me to grow, but I want to make them feel like they're allowed to grow with me. And regardless of how far away they get from me, I'll always be there for them. Amen, man. And now you're coming up as a unit and you're doing 
some crazy good things, bro. You had me literally wing my pants from watching yeah. your Insta videos and your reels. I was just like, this motherfucker gets it, bro. Um, <laughs> hey, have you ever Appreciate have you it, ever bombed on stage? Oh, bro, that's like you may find it hard to believe, but that's seventy percent of shows is bombing. Nah, get out. I swear to the man above, honestly, because Damn. like. You have your you have your jokes that uh, that are your bangers, but um, you know they're gonna hit. You know they're gonna hit, but especially in this day and age, like you've got to constantly be putting out content. You've got to constantly be coming out with new material. Otherwise, you know, it's in one ear and out the other. And so, if you and and I, and I enjoy that constantly having to come up with new stuff. But in order to do that, you have to constantly be testing. And so, if you're always testing, bro, it's like. If you're a really, really strong comedian, your new joke being successful ratio would be like 30%. If 30% of your new shit is banging, then you're a pretty good comedian. And I'm a pretty good comedian. So only about 30% of everything that I write is any good. But that still means I have to try that other 70%. So like I said, bombing at shows, that's 70% of the shows I do. Yeah, it's like par for the course. You got to don't don't think that you can avoid it. Embrace it. It's just how yeah. you how you operate in an industry like that. I've, to be honest, bro, I think that's how you operate in most industries. It's just you can be more discreet and less public with your bombing when you're sitting at a desk versus on stage yeah. in front of people and you're hearing crickets. And uh, but the the yeah. my favorite thing, bro, is like in this day and age, people have. People have short memories. Like people have come to my shows. I've bombed my ass off. And they'll still turn up to the next one. You know, they mm. still will check out the videos. They'll still the people. I think that's one thing that I do like about like our generation's kind of way of living is that we don't really because we don't hold on to anything for too long. You always have another chance. Mm. You always have another go. It's never one thing, and it's all over. Even when people, people often as a comedian, I always get asked this question and I hate it every time, which is ironic that I'm bringing it up. People always ask me about, you know, are you scared of cancel culture? And my answer is always, people forget like 90% of the people that have supposedly <laughs> canceled life. Like, I don't know if you've ever chased up anybody that's supposedly ever been canceled, but they kind of just continue their life normally afterwards. Like, yeah, yeah they're yeah, they're the center of attention for a hot week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month if it's, a, if it's real bad. But essentially people just move on. So that's my thing is yeah. like, everyone else is moving on so quickly. Then why am I getting so caught up in like all of these things? So I don't yeah. I just put out whatever. A lot of it's in your control. Yeah. So I just put out whatever. If it bombs, they'll forget tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And you go again. And I'll just go again. <laughs> Who do you look up to at the moment in the comedy world, bro? Damn, who am I really looking at? Who are you liking? Who do I really like? That's a okay, this is gonna sound real pretentious, bro. I hope it I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I've always had a bit of an affinity with like older My my thing is I've always had this kind of perspective that I don't think stand up comedians age particularly well. And there's two things of that. Like, I think in order to be a good stand-up comedian, you have to be an everyman. And I think you have to have a perspective. You don't have to talk about things that everyone understands, 
you like not you know you're not going to be able to please everybody but i think when it comes to you know who you're trying to communicate to and and who you're trying to like mold your perspective from like i do think the best comedy comes from a place that's like relatable and i think a lot of stand up comedians as they get older and they get richer you know that relatability starts to become artificial and <laughs> we start to see it as an audience like kevin hart bro i don't want you talking about um how hard it is uh, to mail stuff at the post office because i know you haven't been to the post office since in fucking probably 10 years you yeah. know you know what i mean so yeah. it's like um yeah so that that's always been my thing of uh yeah i know with me uh, my stand-up comedy career i definitely have an end date on it and that's that's nothing other than one i think there's a point where maybe you don't really have value to keep giving to audiences i i, I truly think that but that's just a me thing and then i think secondly mm-hmm. i think just the whole touring aspect but like, i don't want to be a touring stand-up comedian oh, man. Like, even though they make heaps of money and shit like Bro, that, that life's brutal. I'm 28 and I'm... It's a punish, eh? Yeah, I'm 28. And I think I'll enjoy it for another 10 years of that. But much longer after yeah. that, maybe not. So, um, no, I, I tend to really look up to... Yeah, a lot of real random people. Less comedians, more... Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of... Uh, um, athletes. Like, my idol is LeBron James. Yeah, t- Tell me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was trying to f- figure out who was under there. So it's people who are, who are winning against the odds. It sounds like. Winning against the odds. Like and ultimately the also, perseverance, perseverance for sure. And ultimately like, so one reason I really have a particular affinity to LeBron James is he, in my eyes has built, he, he in my eyes is the ultimate symbol of, independence and the ultimate symbol of self-empowerment you know every single element of his life is built by and driven by himself he's used the nba the nba is just his vehicle to achieve that but you know when it comes to everything that he's doing in his business like the fact that he's a billionaire and still playing basketball i think for me i I don't have that particular aspiration but purely just the value that he holds of wanting to be his own person and willing to and willing to drive for that in every element of his life that's something that i really really look up to and something that you know one day i i really would love to um achieve and it's nothing to do with with money that money's never been important for me but independence and the feeling of being free of being able to do whatever you want that's something i really look up to mm. Yeah, man, I can, I could definitely that independence shines through the ability to be self-sustaining and a, and a powerhouse in and of your own right. Completely. So that's why I really respect guys like him. People like him, I should say. Brother, let's, um, let's start to walk this home. I wish we didn't have to, um, I now consider you a friend next time I'm in NZ, I'll be hitting you up and likewise, if you're in Sydney, bro, let's grab a drink or a a coffee. I love that. Um, but tell me west park you're doing a lot of great work around for 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 young men um and women hmm. or is it male focused no it's it's uh it's young people focused i mean um so yeah for anybody listening west park is uh my 
production company, content co- company, content studio, whatever you want to call it. And we just, yeah, we just make content across a broad range of uh, avenues, television, social media, yeah, digital. Um, we'll be getting into film. And uh, one of the biggest things for me that's really important is like accessibility and accessibility to opportunity, um, accessibility to resource. And uh, that we kind of build all our series, any project that we do around that. So our first ever TV project, which we signed like a, a big deal with one of like the one of New Zealand's biggest um, mainstream networks was called Rags of Riches. And it's about making high fashion accessible to people on a budget. So it's them going around and uh, op shopping and then repurposing it, you know, to make it look like something special and unique. Um, we've got another series, The Boys Are Decorating, which is about making interior design accessible to young men and getting them to look after like their space, whether that's home or their office. Um, so that's kind of the number one value that I really push for, for everything within what we do. And then just what I do in general, like personally is accessibility. How do we make these things that are seemingly as a, as a guy that loved fashion when I was younger, but felt that felt completely inaccessible to me to even have that interest, let alone delve into it. Um, that's where like a lot of the sensibility of accessibility comes from is my own feeling of that, not feeling like it could be there. And wanting to create that feeling for others just in all these different avenues that's sick bro and what are the types of roles that uh you're hiring for is it more the production side of it or is the talent or is it both well what's really funny is we're actually in a bit of a transition phase at the moment so we and i've yeah again another thing i haven't really talked about publicly we've shut down all our local operations and uh, we're focusing specifically on australia and america Mm -hmm. so the uh we're focusing heavily on america when it comes to traditional television um so uh, that's where we're focusing a lot of the part of that business and then when it comes to creating social media content and then also television that's where australia is going to become a big proponent for us and what we sort of focus on so yeah bro within the next sort of three to six months australia is going to be a really big focus for me uh, and what we build over there, the relationships we build, what we start doing business in. So, yeah, ironically, you being in Sydney, you're going to see me in Sydney a lot more, brother, over the next uh, three to six months. Fuck yeah. Love it, bro. <laughs> I think, you know, it's um, for these types of things, looking at uh, the the opportunity and trying to be agile on the biz ops and you, you've identified two countries you want to triple down on um, just so that we can help you plug this, is there any call to action that you want listeners to do in relation to West Park? No, honestly, just just fucking cheer it on. Well, I'm just, I'm just here because I loved what you're doing, brother. I was keen to have a chat with you and um, hear more about what else you got going on. And yeah, I think uh, I'm, uh, I'm really in your corner with a lot of that, bro. So I, I just. I'm really looking forward to seeing what we uh, could potentially do together. And, you know, yeah, see me too, man. Likewise. And so, so let's, let's go there. Um, I, I've stolen this question of someone else. If you had a billboard on the highway 
and you could put any words on it for people to know, what would you, what is the one message you would want people to hear? I reckon um, the number one message, bro, that I would put on a bill, learn to love yourself. Now, when a lot of people, a lot of people probably used to hearing that to the point where it's probably become cliche for a lot of people. But honestly, me doing that has actually changed my life. So for me, how I tend to show love for people as I really like, as I'm a big words of affirmation guy. I love saying it to them in person, but another thing I like doing is I like texting people how I feel about them, especially like if I feel really strongly about them, I really like them. I often text it to them. So what I've started Mm -hmm. doing is in learning to love myself, I needed to learn, okay, what's the way I love giving love? All right. It's that. I need to start doing that for myself and see how that makes me feel. So bro, what I do is every day I've got this site, just this thing on my notes and I basically write, one of those texts that I would send to someone that I love. Cause you know, sometimes I'll just message my mates. I'll be like, bro, I'm so proud of you. Like, this was amazing. I loved this so much. Like you're the, you're the fucking man or like, I love doing that for my friends. So what I started doing was waking up every morning and doing it for myself. And I basically just have all these things that they're essentially <laughs> just like messages to myself from me. That's and bro, so sick, bro. It's like changed my life, dude. Cause I'll read it back and, you know, in my head, it's a, I'll read something that, you know, I've written, but I'll read it back. I'll be like, yeah, that is a good thing for me to remember. You're like, yeah, I did do that. <laughs> yeah, I am the motherfucking man. Yeah, but it's, I it's, think that's super healthy, man. Yeah. So, bro. So one thing I would say to people was, yeah, what I put on that billboard is learn to love yourself, but do it in the way, love yourself in the way that you love others. Like if you love taking your mate out for a random ass dinner, do that for yourself. If you love buying your mates gifts, do that for yourself. Think, really sit down and think, how do I always show love to the people I love and figure out how you can do that for yourself. And it will genuinely change your life. Like it's something so simple, just writing that shit to myself. Hmm. I could not start to tell you how much of an impact it's had on my own relationship with myself. It's crazy. Dude, I love that, uh, that they are, you know, some ways a positive affirmation and I call them breadcrumbs as well. Like reminders to myself to follow my way back to who I really am if I ever lose my way. And if it's written in first person, you believe it more because you're like, I did this. I know who I am, you know? I know who I am. And it's, uh, it's funny the way I write it as I write it as if, I'm receiving the message from myself. Okay. Often I say like, you know, you did this and you did this and remember this. Second person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. something weird, but <laughs> so when I read it back, it's like, I feel, you know, I'm receiving love from myself, but I really feel like I'm getting it from someone like looking after me in the way that I like to look yeah. after others. And that's ultimately like what it all really came down to and why it's been so effective for me. Can you give me two examples of other things you do to maintain your mental health on an ongoing basis? Yeah, damn, I do. So walking's always been a really big one for me. So I walk a lot. Okay. I just would chuck my headphones on and walk. And I was talking to my um, my therapist about it. And 
he was saying that that's without me realizing as a form of meditation, because he was asking me what I think mm -hmm. about when I go for walks and I'm like, I think about all kinds of shit. And sometimes I walk and I like almost didn't even realize how far I've walked. And he's like, I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's a form of meditation that you're not realizing. And so that's always been a massive one for me. Anybody that knows me has known that's always been something that I've done since I was a little kid, just going just around. strolling around. Bro, aim completely aimlessly. Just no idea where I'm going. I'll just walk for like hours on end. So um, good. So that's a massive one for me. It's funny, the the two other ones really tap into like stuff that I love to do as a kid. So walking was one. And then the other one is going to the movies. So I take myself to the movies probably like once a fortnight, probably even like almost once a week. And nice. again, that was something that I loved doing as a kid. Uh, my, we lived across the road from a movie theater when I was growing up. And my parents would literally just drop me at the movie theater, leave me in the movie, because I was more like, I was, that was my happy place. Just come back when it's done. Come get me. And uh, <laughs> right, it's always been such a like, uh, feeling of You're comfort. a cinema buff. But mess. Well, I think that's the funny thing is half the time I'm like, I'm taking the movie in, but almost not even really. I'm not on my phone. I'm almost just like, enjoying okay. the experience of being in it, being in the darkness not looking on my phone, not worrying mm -hmm. about anything. I'm just kind of sitting there just enjoying it. And that's something I've been really into since I was a kid. So those are another two things. And I would say for anybody looking for something like that, the answer is usually in your childhood on what you feel like is going to be a comfort for you. Think about something that you enjoyed when you were a kid. If you loved drawing back then, you're probably going to love it right now, to be honest. So, you know, those, those are all... Very true words, my man. And for your last question, what is one question you wish I'd asked you, but I haven't? Oh, shit. That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe. What's one question I wish you asked? I mean, bro, like, you asked fucking great questions, so I can't even think of one that I wish you asked. But... I don't know, maybe where are you at on your mental health journey right now? Yeah, bro. That's a good one. Talk to me about that. It's always up and down, bro. These past two months, I've been really down, really down. Okay. But um, you've caught me at, I think, the perfect time because I feel back up and kind of getting out of this rut that I've been in for these past couple months. And uh, been a long time of uh, self-reflection and just trying to sort through some um, some things that I've always really struggled with. But it's, uh, I feel we're in a really good place of, I now know what my workthroughs are with a lot of these issues, where to go to. I've got my practical steps. You know, this, this messaging myself the positive affirmations is a new thing for me. That's part of this whole journey. So yeah, mm -hmm. don't, uh, if you're listening, don't take this as me having figured all this shit out. I'm literally in the middle of it, figuring it out and will be forever. So yeah, yeah, but that's kind of where I'm at. 
is what what's the hardest part do you think around the last couple of months what's weighing you down is it a belief system is it a situation is it a for as much as you feel comfortable to share just to let people into that part of you no no for, for sure I, I think um i think one thing that i've always actively avoided is that i actually have like a lot of deep rooted deep rooted insecurities and I think for me, I always used work as the avenue to kind of avoid ever like facing them or thinking about them. And what, cause basically what happened, bro, was I came back from America. I was in America for two months. And then I sort of went through this whole realization period where I was like, okay, I feel like there's a lot of things I need to address with myself, but I feel like my life is so hectic that I don't even know what those things are. So I'm actively going to clear my life out. I'm going to get rid of all my obligations. I'm going to say no to everything over this period. And I'm just going to sit still and I'm going to see what comes to my head. And I'm going to see where my mental health goes. And bro, it, I did that and it all dropped. My mental health dropped almost immediately. So one thing that they mm -hmm. told me is they told me, this is how much of a reliance I have on what I do and the value that I supposedly think I bring through what I do this is a signal to a bad relationship with myself. I have a bad relationship with myself. And that's what this two months has been, has been really addressing that head on, not allowing work to hide, you know, allow me to hide that from myself or hide from that. I'm taking it head on because again, I don't want this to hinder my ability as a man, not only for, you know, the family I have one day, but for myself in the future. So I'm going to really address this now. Am I going to solve this issue now? Hell no. But at the very least, I've sat down with myself, confronted myself and said, all right, these are the things that we need to do in order to get to where you want to be. So we're going to start that right now. Bro, props again for, for moving into the hard part. You know, it's a theme for you. And I know that it's going to pay off this time. I mean, it already sounds like it is just like it has every other time that you've chosen to do so. Uh, and yeah, I think it is easy to hide behind work when we've got some stuff boiling away in the background and it's, it's a productive coping tool. It's easy to signal to ourselves and other people that everything's fine, but actually we're hiding behind something that looks good, but maybe isn't. Totally. And yeah. Yeah. That, that was such a, you know, it's a confronting realization to come to with yourself that, damn, I have always thought myself as an independent person, but I'm not okay with, I struggle with being on my own. Okay. Mm. I am, have always thought myself as a confident person, but well, I feel worthless as why well. I don't feel like I'm doing anything with my life. So it's like, it's all these things that kind of came from stopping, sitting still, that then led me to all these realizations of how I actually view myself and what my relationship with myself is, that for me, in addressing them, I don't necessarily know what the benefit is to me just yet. I don't know how it's going to help me, but I know how it's hurting me, and I know how it's hurt me for a long time. And, you know, I'm not going to allow it to do that anymore. I have literally zero doubt that this is just another evolution in Joey's story, for real. Um and you, you know, the right markets are calling you, man, and, and you continue to show up and you have a great product, which is that you're funny, but more importantly, 
in the short time I've got to know you sound like a really good human being and that goes a long way. Um, and as someone who's just gone to America, maybe let's end on a light note. Can you tell me the funniest or coolest story you had while you were over there? Far out. There were some cracker ones. Um, okay. So one of my favorite comedians is this guy named Bobby Lee. So. Oh yeah. Bobby Lee. He's the man. Right. He's the man. And my manager is, uh, I'm very lucky to be signed to like, a really good uh, manager over there. He's a really well-respected dude. And um, he literally just asked me when I first got there, he was like, you know, who have you always wanted to meet in Hollywood? And here he, he thinks I'm going to say like Keanu Reeves or Brad Pitt or some shit. And I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, what? Bobby? I literally, I know Bobby. Like, and I was, I was crying. I was like, do you really? And he's like, no, are you sure that's who you want to meet? And I'm like, yeah, bro. That's like, that dude makes me laugh harder than like no one has ever made me laugh. And he's like, all right then, man. Okay. And so we, um, he was like, okay, we're going to go to this comedy club tonight. He's going to be there. We're going to go hang out with him. And I was like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, I'm taking these things with a grain of salt. I'm like, okay, I doubt this is going to happen, but we'll see. No, no, we go to the comedy club. He's on. They let me sit in like the in the green room, the VIP. So he he gets off a set, and I'm like, oh fuck, he's going to come up here. So I left because I didn't want to. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this isn't this isn't right. So I left. I come back downstairs. My manager's waiting down in like the lobby, and he's like dude, you're like, you're not going to wait for him? And I was like, nah, 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 I'm all, I'm all good. And he's like, oh, that's cool. He's going to come out anyway. And so he comes out. My manager, he, he sees my manager, Josh, first. And he's like, calls out to Josh. Josh, like, pulls him over. And bro, it felt like a movie. Josh puts his hand on my shoulder, puts his hand on Bobby's shoulder, basically just says to him, this guy's a superstar in New Zealand. He's done this, done this. Like, gives him a whole, like, gives me the intro of Doom. And then Bobby just, like, hugs me and he's like, damn, you sound cool, dude. And then I was, like, giggling and stuff. And then he goes, he goes to me, so you Mari? Like, he asked me if I'm old. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, do you know Taika Waititi? <laughs> I was like... Yeah, I guess, but not because I'm moldy. Like, that's not why I know him, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, so, Maori people, you live in huts, right? Oh, my fucking God. I live in huts? And I was like, no, nah, bro, like, we, we live in houses and shit. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. He's just, bro, he's just wheeling off all these questions about moldies. He's asking me if we, like, wear normal clothes. Do we all like have to get our like faces tattooed? I was shocked by how much he knew he about Maldives. He knew so much shit about Maldives, but like he also thinks that we like live in the Amazon. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just fully distorted. <laughs> yeah. So uh. bro, it, was, it was one of the coolest conversations. He was so cool, um, and it was just so crack up how someone could know so much, but. Um, also not know a single but no so little but no and it shows bro like you're you're getting real close i reckon you know when you meet 
when you meet some of the people you look up to and they start to become almost your peers, you're, you're on the right track. eh? Oh, bro, it's the most surreal thing ever. And I think, you know, I think to be honest, that's, that's what's caused this period of self-reflection that I've really gone through was that I've seen, you know, I now see the pathway for me and it's, to be honest, it's, it's inevitable at this point. But I think for me, it was so important to address these last few things that I have always hidden from before I go through that, because I've just seen, and I've been lucky with uh, the management that I have, they've given me so much advice and like, you know, Hollywood is everything that you think of in the good ways and the bad ways. And the people that yep. are comfortable with themselves, they're the ones that do well, but the people that aren't, they're the ones that you see do all the crazy shit. And, you know, they enjoy the success for sure, but they are the ones that eventually also fall into, um, you know, the depths of it too. Like you've got to really, really be sure that you're comfortable with yourself and you, you know yourself and you're confident in yourself. And I think for me, I took that on board so hard because I was like, if I'm really honest, I'm not. So. And. Um, it's the right time to do the work, bro, before you fully break through, which I okay. know you will, to get yourself stable and set up so that that machine doesn't eat you up and spit you out. It actually, you know, catapults you to where you want to be. Exactly. Exactly, bro. So that, that's, that's all it, uh, it ever, that's, that's where it all sort of started from. Well, if you ever meet my favorite comedian, other than you, brother, of course, Theo Vaughn, um, tell him I love him and get his fucking ass on this podcast eventually. <laughs> I'll put a word in, my brother. I'll put a word in. <laughs> Thanks, my guy. Hey, um, what a pleasure uh, to to chat with you today. Thanks for the honesty and, and vulnerability. I'm sure this is going to speak to a, a lot of a lot of people and hopefully inspire them to to follow their authentic self like you have so joey thanks so much man that no, means a lot brother appreciate it